mindfulness mode. Life is about messiness and learning and finding that the painting outside the lines. You know, that's what mindfulness does. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. We're here to talk today about bullying. We're here to talk about life, and we're here with the person that can do that. She's a survivor of multiple traumas, and she's dedicated to helping others transform their trauma into an inspired, positive life. I'm here with Dr. Lynn Morrell. Dr. Lynn, are you in mindfulness mode today? I sure am. That's the best place to be, Bruce. It really is. Dr. Lynn, tell us what mindfulness means to you. For me, mindfulness is being present to what's present. So for example, right now it's chilly in my room. I'm feeling goosebumps on my arms. I'm, I'm seated in the chair. My attention is anchored here. And I'm not worried about the past nor the future. I'm just right here, right now. And in that mindfulness, I, I listen inwardly and outwardly to whoever and wherever I am. Well, Dr. Morrell, that really describes mindfulness. It really does. And you invite people to join the joy movement and become a positive force for change. So tell us what that means. What is the joy movement? The joy movement for me is that I look at two ways to live life. I can live it from the negative perspective, the continual drama and trauma, or I can live it by, by coming from the inside out with a joy that transcends the external world. And it's something that's been hard earned. Well, we'll talk about that. You've written a book called Beyond Lovelyville, Beyond Lovelyville. And the subtitle is A Parable of Self-Awareness and Rising Above Trauma. Yeah, it's a mouthful. It, it is. Well, it really tells us what we're going to expect when we read this book. Tell me what inspired you to write this. Well, I've, I've written five, five um, regular books. Um, three of them have been bestsellers, all in this kind of genre of how to lift people. This particular book was different. I was at my kitchen table one day, and I said to my husband, I wonder what a puddle of leaves is. He goes, honey, that's a great term. Why don't you go write it down? So I wrote it down, and I sat at my computer, and I just centered myself. And I said, I, I got really fascinated and curious. Well, what is a puddle of leaves? And I started typing. And that's exactly how the book started. It's a labor of love that's taken 13 years from start to completion. Uh, my husband, while he was alive, was the editor. My cheerleader, also an impeccable editor. And um, he passed away. And in my sorrow, I put the book in the drawer. And I left it there for 10 years. Those that had read the early draft started pestering me. When is it coming out? When is it coming out? And I finally, in, in uh, let's see, 2014 was the last book. Just, just last year, I had it edited. And then I realized I had grown so much that the beginning of the book no longer matched who I'd become in that intervening 10 years. So what that process for me was, was a journey from who I was when I started it to the one who had finished those areas of trauma so that I could then 
replicate them in the book. So I needed to grow for that book to complete. It's a, it's a compilation of most of the traumas that I've experienced, things like being stuck in buildings and earthquakes and houses burning down and all sorts of things, including my, my daughter being taken at one point. Wow. I didn't see her from the time she was 12 to 21. Oh, are you serious? And oh my I gosh. I've never talked about this before. This was one of the things that I needed to heal. There is a character in the book and for the readers, they'll figure out who that character is. And so that was the trauma that was the trauma of traumas for me. And while I worked deeply at recognizing it was at the hands of a bully who was mentally ill, there was nothing I could do that if I did it, it wouldn't harm her. So I, I went deeply into my center, into the, I just call it my sanctuary. And I had a lot of prayer going on here. What was the best thing I could do? And ultimately, I had a social worker who was an angel. She said to me, you know, I said, what would you do if this was your situation? She said, well, I'd let my daughter go. I said, why is that? Because the parent that lets go always, always, always has the child return. Maybe not in my timing. So I thanked her and I'd been to court. Oh, my gosh. You know, we had joint custody, but that was not a thing in his case. So ultimately what happened was I, I let her go. I loved her every day. I sent her prayers every day. When we did connect, she came and um, to visit me for the first time. And we were, we were, she was chopping vegetables for me to make me a curry. And she turns around and she goes, you know, mom, I said, well, honey, she, you know, you know, in the Bible, where the king had the, the two mothers fighting over the baby. He, she goes to me, you were the one that had enough courage and loved me enough to let, let me go. And that like was, a, oh, you know, all that, that negative guilt that wants to come in, you know, that's the ultimate bully is the self-talk. And yes. that freed me to begin the process of completing the book. And so it's very much autobiographical but it's through the eyes of small creatures so that it's not intimidating. It creates a safe place for people to explore the issues in their life. And uh, I don't preach because it doesn't work anyway. But what I do is I, I invite them to join the journey of these characters as they fight for what's important for them or rather love themselves on the way to getting where they want to go. And um, it's, it's just... It's such a sweet gift that I can offer the world. So when your daughter was gone at 12, did you know where she was immediately? I knew she was with her father. Okay. I also knew what he was capable of because I came out of a lot of violence um, as a result of him descending into bipolar disorder. Oh. And um, I mean, I was with him for 17 years, the love of my life. You know, to this day, I pray for him every day. It wasn't always that way. <laughs> I was pretty annoyed and, and mm -hmm. felt very helpless because if I did anything, it would have ramifications on her life. So in, in, some, in some level, the best gift I gave my daughter was to work on my inner bully, to work on the part of me that had been degraded, humiliated, and so pressed down over 17 years, I didn't know it. I also came out of a, a violent 
uh, family life. And I ran away at 17, put myself through college. By my sophomore year, I was doing graduate school, talk about overachiever, all to keep my pain at bay. Mm. All because I felt helpless and hopeless. So I went to the external world, get all these accolades and accomplishments, and I am a lifelong learner. But the ultimate learning for me is to be able to be still and come inside. That overcomes any trauma I've ever had. Wow. And you knew that from a young age then. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Something that so many people don't discover until later in life, if they ever do. Yeah. And it saved my life. You know, the, the violence resulted in what I would call a mystical experience, whatever you want to call it, where I was held and comforted. There was a very, I call it a near life because I had that warmth, that sense of all is well, no matter what. Mm. And that came out of martial arts, ultimately, my freedom, because I learned discipline, which is discipleship toward myself and my body. I never wanted anybody to lay a hand on me again. So I became a fifth, sixth degree back belt. I started counting, stopped counting at five, but technically I'm a sixth. Nobody knows what that means. That means in service to the world. You've, and and what is the martial art? Um, I was a martial artist in Taekwondo. I also have a black belt in Aikido and Tai Chi for many, many, many years. I studied at the University of Beijing. I was on a journey of discovery that the, my, my commitment was to take all of those things that happened to me that looked so horrible, and they were, but to transform them into a curious opportunity that I could use that stuff instead of carrying it around like a sack and, and pull out a story when someone's there and say, I don't know how you feel, but this is how I felt. Is it similar? Because I can never know what anybody else feels. None of us can. Right. That's true. Dr. Morrell, were you spiritual as a child? My family wasn't particularly spiritual, or as I like to say, spiritual. But I had this knowing at a very young age, born of how to read people. I was raised by my grandmother and uncle till I was five, and then I was sent home. And that's when I, I, I became nearsighted almost overnight. Um, gained weight, got chubby, became a bookworm. I was reading books by the time I was five and a half, like real, real books. Mm -hmm. And I would have knowings. Like I, I said to my parents on a, on a home visit, I was a little before five. And I said to my mom, Glenda came to visit me, mommy. She goes, don't be ridiculous. Glenda's in Maine. And then they got the call a few hours later, Glenda had died. And so I don't know how that happened, but I had an attunement to something that kept me able to survive the world and the vicissitudes of where I was living. Now, don't get me wrong, my family, they, they loved me. They were the typical American family. It's just they were very in their, their own trauma. And so I, I grew up traumatized by those that had been traumatized, by those that had been traumatized, which I think brings us to bullying. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about bullying and how it traumatizes us. Yeah. Well, I can speak for some of my traumas. I was chubby. I was uncoordinated. Um, my parents were, how can I say, our house was messy. Kids weren't allowed to visit. 
I was ridiculed, not invited to, invited to plan parties, but ultimately they changed the date. So I would show up a week later, mm. you know, cruelty like that. People would knock my books out of my arms at school, stamp on my pens, call me names. Um, that all stopped when I started the martial arts. But what the damage was done had not stopped because I felt different, which I was. Um, I was not standard issue. You know, mm -hmm. I, I loved books and I loved nature and I would much rather be sitting on the roof with a ladder pulled up reading or on the tree across the street where no one could get me. So I didn't know how to handle the bullying. What allowed me to move into a, a space of self-confidence was the martial arts. And it was such a serendipity. Um, I was in the gym one day, had a crush on my neighbor, was the gymnast varsity, whatever. And he was trying to learn judo from a book. And I'd already mm -hmm. been taking judo for a couple of years then. And I, I said to him, hey, Randy, would you like me to show you how to do that move? And he said, what, you know this stuff? I said, yeah. And so I showed him how to do the move. And, and the Marine Corps gym instructor, head of the wrestling coach came over and he goes, uh, throw me. I said, I can't throw you, you don't know how to fall. He goes, I'm a Marine. So I threw him twice. I was really good at judo. And then I got invited. Now mind you, this is in 1968. I got invited to coach the guy's wrestling team for one session. I was a guest instructor. I could pin them and they couldn't get away. Wow. So that elevated my status in the school to the point where the bullies gave me wide birth. And that was, that was the birth of confidence. I, I was able to do something about it without hurting anybody, but it was my confidence. This, this, wow, look what I just did. And the guy was in the gym, the main bullier. And it's like from that day forward, he went to the other side of the hall. If I was walking down the stairs, <laughs> he would give me wide berth. And so that was the beginning of my healing. Wow. And I think the work that you're doing with mindfulness is doing the same thing that judo did for me. You know, making, making people aware that they are somebody. We're all somebody and we're all different and we're all the same. Tell me how you first got involved in martial arts. I got dragged kicking and screaming to the judo school because my sister-in-law decided to quit and my younger sister wanted to take lessons. I was a duck to water. Within six months, my, my parents, you know, well-meaning that they were, when my sister quit, they quit me too. They, they said, oh. you're not doing this anymore. I became passionate about something. I did laundry, I ironed clothes, my brother, his, his wife. I did whatever it could to beg, borrow, or steal rides because I mean, it's 15 then 16. When I got my driver's license, I could drive myself. But it was in, in saying to my teacher, I can't afford the $35 a month because in 1965, that was a big chunk of change. Yes. Babysitting was 25 cents an hour, you know? And so I talked to my teacher about it and I said, I'm doing everything I can to pay for my classes. And he goes, Lynn, teach the beginners for me. Now these are all men. Yeah. So I learned very quickly how to protect myself from the thing that scared me and to be um, a person of interest in the class. What is this young, I was still pretty chubby, but I just had it in my, my cells, this spark 
of how to do this. And it came to me, I mean, it was the most simple thing I ever learned. So I did judo, I, I earned college credits teaching judo in exchange because I worked my way through college with finally a scholarship. And so I taught the judo class and uh, for a semester and then I did other things. But it was this sense of my body had a boundary. And so physically, I became very um, aware that I could take care of myself. Emotionally, I was a, a bit delayed. I like to say when I ran away at 17, I was maybe 12 years old. But I was also very courageous. I didn't know what I didn't know. I just knew that I would die if I stayed in that house. Mm. And so there was violence and I did leave. And, um, you know, I worked my way through college and grad school and double grad school and triple grad school. And it, it it's not so much about the achievement now as it is, wow, I can learn something new and I can grow. And as I grow, the people that I touch grow. And it's, it's this organic process that took me out of bullying into self-awareness. In my case, it was judo. For some kids, it could be piano, it could be singing, it could be nature. You know, it, it, whatever it is, a lot of people get bullied that are artists because they're different, they're sensitive. Oh, you're so sensitive and they make fun of you. I was super sensitive, thin-skinned, everything hurt. I was like a bleeding wound. Anybody could say something and I take it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. What I learned, Bruce, was that there's an error in approach when you're bullied or being bullied. And so as I've come to deal with bullies through my life, I've I've since come to appreciate the pain they're in. And I build what I call an energy bridge. So rather than scream at them saying, or, or running away, I just really get present. And I'll, I'll be with that person. And in the book, there's a, there's a segment of this. What if we knew their secret wounds? What would happen if we could be a witness? If somebody could be there for them, when they're hurting so bad, all they can do is strike out. And I think that's the power in mindfulness and, and in looking the attention to detail, like, okay, I notice this kid comes in with a black eye pretty frequently, or he's always picking on blah, blah, blah. Um, It's becoming attuned to someone else's suffering. Having suffered so much, I had the compassion to expend my energy in such a way to create some kind of bridge. Wow. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm just going to cut in here. Have you ever struggled with being stuck, with feeling like you want to move forward and it just isn't happening? Maybe you are are just feeling really frustrated in your business. Maybe you're feeling lonely and isolated. Maybe you're filled with anxiety. Maybe you're having trouble sleeping. Maybe it's about a habit that you just can't break. You can't lose weight or you, you're trying to quit smoking and it's just not happening. Well, I coach people just like you and I help you through hypnosis. I'm a certified hypnotist and I would love to have an opportunity to work with you to help you. It's a five session package for most people that have these kinds of issues. Give me a 
an email. Send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and let's jump on a call and let's talk about what I can do to help you move forward, make changes, and live a better, more contented, happier life. You can do it. So send me an email and let's get started. I have a half price offer available because I'm doing a beta launch. I've already worked with some people on this and it is just met with incredible success. So I encourage you to move forward, make a change in your life and make things happen. Now back to the show. I want to ask you about some of the other traumas you've experienced in your life because I know there have been a number of them. Can you share? Yeah, at this point, I'm pretty transparent. There was there was some molestation in both my grandparents' house and in my home. Um, my judo teacher tried to rape me when I was 17. I've been strangled multiple times. I've been held up at gunpoint twice. Um, my my house my mother's house burned down. Six weeks later, my house burned down. Uh, my husband died soon after that. And my second husband in a plane crash. I could go on. I mean, you need a therapist. This wow. was all 13 months. Then my daughter was taken. I moved to a new home when my second husband died. I got sick. And, you know, if I took a stress test, I would be at 900 plus, plus, plus. And so I was hit over and over and over again. And um, then my 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 third husband died of a drug overdose given by the hospital, which was completely covered up. That was a trauma. And, and, you know, all sorts of things in the job field, because when you've been victimized, my experience is you have this little light over you, victim. In my case, I had done a prayer when I was probably, my daughter wasn't born yet, um, in, a, in, a, in a Bible study group. And someone said, if you could be any, any power, any prophet from the Bible, who would you be? And out of my mouth came Solomon to have the wisdom that the king had in discernment. So that I believe all of my traumas have been really challenging. They've, they've made me reach, reach for the joy in the midst of the sorrow. And so I built real strong resiliency so that um, rather than collapse fully and completely into the victim, I would go there for a while, especially in the beginning. It's not fair he took my daughter because it was really to get me. And, and then, I, then I started to look at a different approach. Look, I can't change this. I can't change them, but I can change me. So one of the things that I do is if I can put loving in something, my, my job, as I see it, is to put love everywhere and joy. Joy, joy and, and love are just like they're kissing cousins. You know, and so when I see joy in the midst of sorrow, then I get to lift and my roots get deeper and my compassion gets higher. So this was a process, definitely not an event. And as each each time I, I kind of laboriously in the beginning reached for something positive, you know, I found that joy would come visiting even for a little bit. And it wasn't happiness. I wasn't really happy as I went through these things, but there was a tiny little seedling of joy that I could laugh at things. You know, it's like uh, when my husband died in a plane crash, I went to 
close our bank account and the bank teller would not let me. No, you have to bring them in. I said, I can't bring them in. And we had this argument and I'm, I'm amused. I'm actually amused, even though I'm devastated, my husband's been dead. And she said, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I said, well, do I have to die to go bring him back here? And she went, <laughs> and then she got it, you know? And then I was also sued by Social Security during this whole Michigas for an error I reported to them. So they called me and said, this woman was just like the bully plus, we're gonna put you in jail. You're gonna go up on felony charges. I said, what are you talking about? So anyway, the long and the short of it, I took it to court because I had reported this error. It was their error. I had the money in the bank. I was using it for my daughter, which is how it should have rightfully been used. And when it went before the judge, he goes, I have never ruled in the face of the, you know, whatever. Uh, but it is clear that Social Security is out of line here. Ma'am, give back what you have and you are fine. And that was really traumatic. You know, and then with my husband, I would go to, to court probably at least once a year over custody fights. And he would always change lawyers. He was rather wealthy. And so he would change his lawyers, like some people change their suits. And every time I'd come and finally I, I synchronicity, this is when you go positive. The more joy you have, the more you attract helpers. And so I called one of my clients in DC, <clears throat> who's ex-military and I said, hey, my daughter and I are supposed to go to Cancun. We got a verbal approval, you know, um, do you know a lawyer? Because he said no, and we're due to fly out tomorrow and I need a letter. He goes, give me 10 minutes. He calls back, he did you better, I got you a judge. So he was in DC, I was in Pennsylvania and the judge was in Jersey where my husband lived. And the long and the short of it is she contacted on my behalf and the help started coming in. She wanted a thousand dollars up front just to talk to me. I said, oh, I don't have that kind of money. I ran a retreat center. I worked with people that were on welfare and all sorts of people that were down and out. And I had a couple of corporate clients, but the bottom line is I was able to take her to Cancun and the retribution was him pulling her out of my hands at school. That's the last time I saw her. So that was not a well person, but I still managed to put joy there because I went inside and I heard she would come back someday. And so I held that faith and I kept working on my anger and my bitterness and my despair and my absolute hatred of this man, which was the man I still loved. There was a, a paradox there. And the only way I could bridge the gap was, you know, like a bully, he suffered, I suffered. My anger at him was an error in my approach. And as soon as I changed it, I would do something called freeform writing. I'd light a candle. I'd write what came into my mind. I would not reread it because it wasn't fit for rereading anyway. I was taking it out of my unconscious, out of my wounds, out of my years of bullying, and I would burn it. 20 minutes of writing, stream of consciousness, rip it up or stand over the sink and burn it. That created room for more mindfulness and action. We take action, even if it's this much of an action, yes. we can transcend our bullying and become the Solomon to find the wisdom and compassion for somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And, and like, like you've said, 
or like I've heard, if I, and what I've done is if I approach someone who's a bully, I'll just say, wow, did I offend you? Ah. Is it because, mm -hmm. is it because, and they'll fill in the blank. And, and I taught this to a little boy who was being bullied. He was 10. He came home. I was visiting. I'm, I'm Auntie Lynn. They were my clients. And I said, how was your day? I, I, I got bullied today. Really? What happened? He called me names and he pushed me. I said, wow. I said, what'd you do? He goes, I, I cried and I ran away. So he was feeling pretty down about himself. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a something I show people, like they, when you see old people, sometimes they'll wring their hands. So I taught him how to wring his hands because all the meridians outlet there and it's soothing. So I taught him this process. And the next day he called me when I was back home and he says, Titi uh, Lin, I, um, I met the bully today and he started to bully me. And I said, you know what? I want to show you how to do hands because I think you're hurting. Words to that effect. And the kid and the bully, he showed him how to calm himself down. Wow. Yeah. And that, what a story. It's like, it's possible. It's possible. Yes, it is. And, uh, wow, that's incredible. I want to talk about meditation. Do you meditate? Every day. Tell me about it. What does it look like? When do you do it? How long is it for? Okay, for many, many years, I would start at 5 to 7 a.m. in the morning. I got two hours every day. I call it my spiritual exercise, where I, where I don't actually try to stop my mind because it's almost impossible, but I give my mind a focus. I'll chant a tone or a name. You could say love. You could say om. You could say hue. And it focuses my mind so that the part of me that wants to go to that mindful place has a break. So I actually, um, Father Keating calls it sacred psychology or sacred prayer, where you just focus on, you could focus on your breathing, you could focus on the tone. But I, when I started Bruce, I would sit, close my eyes. Oh Jesus, it's only a minute. You know, and I was literally, I could, because of the trauma, I couldn't stop my mind. So I persisted, and that's that's the beauty of of the challenge of mindfulness. So rather than hate my mind, I watched it, and to this day I watch it. And when I watch the little, I call them barking dogs, when my little barking dogs come in, say I'm trying to meditate, I'll just go, okay, stop, sit. And if they don't stop, I get up and wash the dishes or do something, and then I come sit. Or mm -hmm. if I get the, you need to do this, 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 I'll keep a pad there and I'll write it down. And then I'll go back. And then over time, I got to 20 minutes. Oh, my God, you would have thought I'd won the lottery. And then when I got to having two hours seemed like nothing, then I was in heaven. Now I do a process of qigong, which is mindfulness with the body and in, in bringing the harmony to the physical form, which then supports everything else. So I, I use a multi-pronged approach. I do roughly two hours a day of the, the Qigong, punctuated by anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of meditation. And I do take breaks. And if I have a big project, I will meditate before I do it. 
I also have a kind of meditation with goal writing. I've been writing goals, Bruce, I, I, for anybody, bully, kid, young, old. I have a blessing journal and a goal journal. And the way I've overcome bullying and, and incorporated meditation is that when I write my goals, I'm in a meditative stance. I don't write them when I'm upset. I write freeform writing when I'm upset. To build the muscle of mindfulness for me is I look at life as a game. You're here to gain awareness, overcome setbacks, do service, and ultimately recognize that whatever breathes us is in charge. And by our thinking, we can have joy, or by our barking dogs thinking, we can have a miserable, dreary life. And I've lived both. <laughs> I got to say, <laughs> joy beats it. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. You're fascinating to talk to. I know that we can go to your website at drlinmorell.com and it's D-R for doctor, D-R-L-I-N-M-O-R-E-L.com, drlinmorell.com. What can we expect to find there when we go to your website, Dr. Lynn? My, my website is primarily a marker. Bruce, I've been word of mouth since 1984. When I started a stress management company <clears throat> based on a conversation and two hours later, I had my first job. That's another whole thing. My first gig, even though I worked at Giant Stadium. Um, what they could find is if they send me or send you something, I would be glad to give your listeners. It's, a, uh, it's on Thinkific platform. It's a 10 module class under 10 minutes. And there's, there's a small meditation. It was done live, unexpected, unplanned, with airplanes, with a Greek gentleman who asked me questions and he wanted to record the answers with his video. So that's how it came to be. And it has things like freeform writing, <clears throat> the man in the mirror, what we see in someone else is in us. So if they either send something to va.drlynmorell at gmail.com, then they can have this access to this course. So that's a freebie. That's something that anybody, beginner, advanced, can tune up. Also, in other countries like Canada, if you go to my book, M-Y-B-O-O-K dot T-O, oh dear me, um, forward slash beyond Lovelyville, that will take them to the Canadian store. Or they could go to amazon.ca, I believe. But um, if they Google it on Amazon, they'll find it. And sure. Beyond Lovelyville. The other bestseller was called Soul Lifts, <clears throat> which was a precursor. Do I have time to just share the first sentence? Yes. So my red Chevy van and I almost ran him over. And the incident that could have taken his life, give him a wife to treasure. <laughs> that's a wow. paraphrase of it. You know, um, and so that's how I met my husband that passed away from the hospital error. And my next book is coming out in July. It's our love letters, our love emails, live and uncensored of this extraordinary, healthy relationship with a non-bully. So those are some of the things in the works, Bruce. And um, it's been such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I was going to ask, so many people write books and so few of them become bestsellers. How did that happen? I call it God's grace. My intention 
was to serve people. And I've written five. My first one called Heaven, Heaven's Helpful Hints. There's God in Your Soup. Before the Chicken Soup for the Souls. That came shortly after my house burned down. And I had been awakened at five in the morning. And then I did what Wayne Dyer did. I traveled across country. I gave talks at bookstores. I didn't know it was a bestseller until 1999 when a publisher contacted me. And it's out of print now. Um, I've matured so much. I don't know how to repurpose it, but it's, it truly is my intention and my attention with journaling. I'm winning the game. Like for example, and, and I'm, I'm a minister, I'm a non-denominational minister, but it's not about religion for me. It's about the loving, you know? So I write goals like I'm co-partnering with the divine um, to create, to co-create a best-selling book called da 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 by da 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 It's win-win-win and better than I can imagine. I'm winning the game of attracting amazing people who support me with the launch of my book because it takes a community to, to publish a book and to have it be successful. And through the last 40 years of my working with people, um, I have lots of people that love me. So all I needed to do was say, hey, I've got a book coming out. Would you, would you tell your friends? And that's how I, I don't buy my bestseller. I, I just allow grace to lift me because it's the joy movement. And we're here to have joy and have it exponentially. So that's how I do it. And I don't know what I don't know. So I research and I take courses and I'm a continual learner for how to streamline my life so they have more time to love people and the book is one way to do it well i can tell you tell that your life is full of joy just by talking to you and seeing your face here on zoom in your bio it says you are a pioneer in connecting the dots between our spiritual nature and everyday life and it says you can help people become a positive force for change and to encompass joy. If one of our listeners is thinking, wow, that's for me, what can they expect to get from you and how can they go about doing it? Well, I, depending on who they are, they can start with a Thinkific course, which is no cost. They can go to the website. They can reach out to me via the VA, or they could actually come to me if they wanted to go with my, with my name. I get so many hundreds of emails, it's safer to send it to va.drlynnmorell.com. I will probably, again, once COVID is over, be doing retreats and workshops. And I do one-on-ones. Um, I do have to say at this point, I work a lot with thought leaders because they have a massive reach. So if I start at the top down and they develop the sense of joy and what I call win-win-win, because if I win and you lose, it's not joy. Right. If, if if we both lose, it's not joy. And if we both win, but the world doesn't receive the benefit of our gifts, then it's not a win-win-win. So if they're really moved to, to reach me, they can do it that way. Or they can go to the books. The books have so much information. There's another book called Get Clear, Get Connected, Get a Job. I did it for the dot-com crash in 99. Every page from A to Z is a total primer that could change their life. And so everything that I have written is specifically for people to change, even if they can't work with me. 
And if they want to work with me, the ones who want to work with me find me and they persist. And um, it's, and through the podcast and all that sort of stuff, I'll have a YouTube channel. I do have a site called Positive Joy with Dr. Lynn. There's always something positive up there. And there is the Facebook page, Lynn, Dr. Lynn Morrell or Lynn Morrell. So there's right. always uplifting. I do um, short FaceTime videos with a subject, you know, breathing, meditation, a moment of joy. So there's lots of ways they can find me. Right. Are those on on uh, Facebook? Yeah. 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 They're all Facebook stuff. I'm on LinkedIn right. as Dr. Lynn Morrell. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Right. But mostly I would say to your listeners, find the wise one, find the Solomon in you because Solomon had to do something to become wise and we all have to do something. We have to take an action. So if they want to reach out to me, that's an action. If they want to get the book, it's an action. Staying attuned to your podcast is a fabulous action, but we get there by doing, not by sitting in our sorrow and degradation. It's a choice. It's a hard choice. The negative is so much louder. This little voice inside though, it's like we don't turn on the dark switch when we go in a room, we turn on the light switch. Mindfulness is like turning on the light switch every day. Wow, I love that. That's great. Before we leave, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Sure. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Uh -huh. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has been a very powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Uh, living or dead. It doesn't matter. Well, I would say Christ is my is my main influence. Interesting. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Oh my goodness. It takes a lot for me to get upset. And um, I used to be hair trigger because of my sensitivity. It's a lot. And when I am upset, I know there's a breakthrough or something for me on the other side. Interesting. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Oh my gosh. I'm the woman who's been rolfed, groffed, rebirthed, and could not breathe. As a martial artist, it's anathema. However, my, my current spouse taught me to drop my abdomen because my umbilical cord was too short. So I had a physical issue with breathing and I learned how to release it. So now I can oxygenate my entire body by pulling in the breath from here, from here, from the top to the bottom. It's, it's a kind of an energetic thing, but I can hold my breath for a very long time. And so breathing is a tool. And if we become mindful of where we, you know, we get scared, of course, we're going to go like this. But if we can expand with a breath, oh, it's awesome. That's fascinating. I want you to tell us about a book other than your own fantastic <laughs> books that could help someone with mindfulness. Well, I read a lot of books by a fellow by the name of John Roger. I, I read one years ago called... Um, uh, you can't afford the luxury of a negative thought. It was a very wonderful book that helped start me. And the first book that started me on my spiritual path in this way was Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Ah. It was the first book, meta, quote, metaphysical type book I read. And then I once I once I became involved with reading John Rogers' books, they're all about loving. You know, it's very unorthodox. Not one soul can be lost. Use everything for your learning, growth, and upliftment. Don't hurt yourself and don't hurt others. It's a model of mindfulness. Right. Are there any apps 
of any kind that you could recommend that can help people with mindfulness? There is a PQ app. Um, it's Shazad, S-H-A-Z, ID, I believe. And it's something called PQ Intelligence. If you go to that website, it's fascinating and very accurate. You can check your score for how much the barking dogs are nibbling at you. You call them saboteurs and the judges, the people pleasers. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And then there's also a, a Barry Morgulan Energy for Success.org. He has a Facebook page called the Superhero Page. He is a force for change. I've studied with him, a grandmaster in the Chinese tradition. Um, who is in the line of Lao Tzu, who is a very, very wise, enlightened soul. So those two apps come to mind. Um, there's a lot of free stuff if they go to the Energy for Success. It's actually .org. He has free podcasts where he talks about, um, how can I say it, calming those barking dogs so that you're more expanded, how to expand instead of contract. And there's a lot of stuff in there about building bridges, how to deal with difficult people. Um, the children love his stuff. I have babies that are growing up in this, that I've got them into this. They're so wise. And they've learned how not to take things personally and how to not be afraid of falling off their bike. Because life is about messiness and learning and finding that the painting outside the lines you know, that's what mindfulness does. And those are the two ones that come to mind. Well, thanks for sharing those with us. And thanks for being on the show. I have totally enjoyed talking to you, Dr. Lynn. It's been such a pleasure. And I will repeat your website, drlynnmorel.com, D-R-L-I-N-M-O-R-E-L.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Lynn. You're welcome. This has been a treat and a treasure. Have a yes, wonderful rest of the day, Bruce. I will. You too. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening, for subscribing, for reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, and thanks to Erica Flint's Cascade Hypnosis Center for being our valued sponsor. Hey, Erica, we really appreciate you, and Erica is a terrific teacher of hypnosis, and I know that because I am a graduate of her program. Now, if you're a healer or a coach or a counselor or someone who just loves helping people, Consider the powerful results that can be achieved with hypnosis. You can become a hypnotist, just like I did. Contact the team over at CascadeHypnosisCenter.com. And if you'd like to work with me and break through some of those mind blocks, maybe lose weight, maybe quit smoking, maybe it's something else, I would be so thrilled to work with you. And as you've already heard on the show, I'm doing an exciting new beta launch. I've got room for three people. So reach out to me. Just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk for a free short conversation about what I can do to help you. I look forward to hearing from you. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash let's talk. So now take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.